Hey. How you doing? You come here often? Look, why don't we, uh, take care of our tabs here and go back to my place. We can read each other passages of might as a riot and maybe find out where you stand on the old LeVay personality synthesizer. What do you say? You and me. Come on. You're listening to Radio Free Satan. Enjoy the show. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Yuletide carols being sub. Uh, hey! Hey, welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I am your host, Adam Campbell. It's great to have you. It is December 16th. <laughs> I've got a great show for you this week. Yeah, that's right. Again. Every week for the past two fucking years. Great shows, right? Right? <laughs> Before we dive into the meat and potatoes, as it were, little announcements here. Nine Cents presents Satanists on Satanic Cinema Horror Hotel is out. That's right. I have pushed it to the servers and Amazon MP3 is showing it. Google Play is showing it, CD Baby is showing it, even iTunes is showing it, even though iTunes is, well, as always, off on their price. So if you want to get it through iTunes, just wait a little bit, and it'll be there shortly. But you can visit the website, satanistonsatanicsinema.com, and see the trailer. Tomorrow, when this actual podcast airs, I'm going to be pushing the announcement live, and hopefully the um, news feeds will pick it up as well. So, featuring guest... Magistrate Peggy Nadramia and I sit down and watch Horror Hotel chat, wax, crack-wise, as it were, uh, yeah, have a little bit of fun, a lot of bit of fun, and we talk about this amazing show, uh, City of the Dead, as it's known in the UK, or over here stateside, Horror Hotel. Uh, great, great show. It was a lot of fun doing it, and I hope that you all enjoy it. This is the third episode of Satanists on Satanic Cinema. The first two, Blue Velvet and The Ninth Gate, are both available still and will be forevermore, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. So check them out if you haven't yet. If you ever wanted to know about syncing information on how to sort of sync the audio track up with the video, I have that on the website as well, uh, broken down by episode. So check out the episode pages on the website and uh, all will be revealed. And for 99 cents, hell, why wouldn't you want to do it? All right, and also, I, I kind of wanted to touch on this really quickly, but I think I'm going to hold off. Um, yeah, fuck it, I'm going to talk about it anyway. Look at my kid. So my, my, my boy is in karate classes, and I, I sort of have a weird relationship with karate. It was really huge when I was growing up, and I guess in some certain circles it's huge now, but 
I sort of grew up in the Chuck Norris era where, you know, the idea of karate, you know, the Karate Kid, for example, um, it was just really big and I don't know, I thought it was really cool. I grew up mainly with Van Damme. He had nothing to do with karate, but his own sort of martial arts fighting style, whatever it was. Um, and so I always thought it was awesome. And then I hit the age 12. And this is kind of the same thing with, with wrestling and me, like WWF or, or, um, I actually used to watch Glow Wrestling, if any of you remember that. The gorgeous ladies of wrestling. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> but again, like as soon as I hit sort of age 12 when I started, you know, looking at girls and getting that funny feeling in my pants, uh, <laughs> I lost interest in stuff like that. Well, my boy's in it now. And uh, you know what? You got to let him do what they want to do. He wants to be in karate. I'm going to, you know, support him for being in karate. But I had to go. He was doing a test. In this specific dojo he goes to, it's they do like degrees of testing and stuff. So, you know, he wants to get to his next belt degree. And so he has to go and do this test for two people who anywhere outside of this dojo are known as complete losers and wastes of skin and completely unproductive human beings as a whole. But inside of the dojo, they are shown great respect. Oh, yes, uh, sensei. You know, they don't even have names. They're just sensei. Yes, sensei. I feel like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle talking to them. It's ridiculous. Uh, for my boy's sake, you know, you, you go through the motions. I was sitting there watching him go through his test, and I was looking around the room, and there are grown-ass men and women doing this. And I imagine they went into the process of learning karate, uh, with the best of intentions, but there is like a sick desperation to the martial arts, in my opinion. Um, the types of people who go into this, and I may be offending a lot of you listening right now, but bear with me, this is just my, my opinion, you know, you don't have to agree with it at all. If you're going and paying someone to teach you about ancient eastern mysteries of martial arts, you're a sucker. I'm just going to say it right out. You're a fucking sucker. Um, you want to learn, you want to be the super badass person on the block. You don't have to go kiss some old guy's ass to learn how to kick a little higher, just a little higher to do it. I mean, you, you really don't. Just, uh, you know, be an individual. That That's going to do it. You want to learn how to fight and you're doing it just for the sake of fighting? Hate to break it to you. Karate or whatever martial art you're using is completely fucking useless in an actual human being fight. And I'm just being honest. In the movies, it works out great. You do your roundhouse kick and you look like a badass and the girl comes running up and throws both her arms around your neck. Woohoo! You're a hero. In the real world, it ends up you're, you're on the ground grappling. And then, you know, there are martial arts and MMA styles, focus, like jiu-jitsu, for example, that are focused just on that. Um, again, uh, yeah, certain types of people it draws, is all I'm saying. All right, good or bad, certain types of people. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> I don't need to prove anything <laughs> to anyone. I kind of feel like that's what you're doing when you go to these things. You're trying to prove something. Okay, so back to my point here. So I'm, I'm sitting down and I'm watching these people practice and show respect to their sensei. You know, whatever. You do your thing. Whatever. You know, whatever your bag is. But there's some genuine retarded people in here. 
And I'm not just talking like I, I perceive them as being retarded because I don't agree with their ideals or whatever it is. I mean, they look like mentally retarded people, the way their eyes try to settle on you when they're looking at you or other people, or the way they're sort of jittery and jumping around and stuff. I mean, they can't really focus that well at all. It's it's, it's really kind of sad in a lot of cases. All right, so there's these people, like grown adults, testing for this new colored belt, which somehow proves that they are ancient masters of martial arts or something. And I, I see them trying to please these judges, and it's just so disgusting. Because whatever achievement they feel like they're making in this one little moment means nothing outside of that room. Literally nothing. And then there's adults, the helicopter parenting styles, just encouraging the nonsense that's happening in here. And I'm doing the same thing. I'm encouraging, you know, if he wants to do it, I'm going to encourage him in whatever he wants to do, no matter how ridiculous I personally think it is. That's what you do as an adult. But there are, there, there are varying degrees in that helicopter degree I saw in spades here. And I had to sit through this whole process that ended up taking nearly four hours of people fighting and testing and going through the motions and then the little ceremony to get this belt and and the ceremony was like one big jerk off session for the dojo sensei uh speaking to the parents trying to validate the cost that he is charging these parents to have these kids go through these motions pretending as if there's some value to these belts outside of this padded room it's I felt like I was literally the only parent watching this with my eyes open. Everyone else was buying it. Oh, this is a sacred thing. No, you, you look like retards. This will never serve them any benefit outside of this room. And it's literally just these kids and you as the sensei, air quotes, beating off. Which, hey, 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 yeah, I'm a fan, okay? I'm a fan. But I have the common courtesy to do it in the privacy of my own home. I don't drag out parents, forcing them to sit through hours of retarded fighting in order to uh, witness you doing it. Common courtesy, a little bit of respect, that's all I'm saying. Um, I, wow, I, I really feel like I'm a lot more bothered than I actually thought I was about the whole process. There's just this sort of sick desperation and sadness that's like heavy and thick in the air that it, apparently no one else saw, at, at, at least during this one time uh, th that I noticed. Uh, I certainly saw it, <laughs> and I have big problems with it. Um, one thing I did get out of it, um, I was recording my son's test, and I think he, he's always, since he's been a kid, said that he wants to join the military and he wants to be a soldier and, and recently it's been a police officer and stuff. Um, I think he's going to be amazing at whatever he wants to do because I saw the way he took it. And maybe this is sort of the message to take out of this. The amount of, of, of weight that you as an individual put into whatever you do, in this case karate, um, and how serious you take it if you're capable of applying that to other parts of your life, uh, you're going to be successful. I mean, really, 
define your terms of success, you'll do it. If you're able to really put the seriousness that you put into these these hobbies of yours, into into real life, you will be very, very successful. And I saw that in him. And so pride swelled in me as a father. And you know what? To be honest, as you know, your kids get older, those moments are fewer and far between. Uh, those moments of pride, accomplishment. You know, it starts with them standing up and, and crawling or walking and talking and, and doing well in school and, uh, you know, beating up the kid that tried to beat them up. <laughs> moments like that. You, you find pride and, and, and you really, yeah, a little bit of vicarious living in them. Uh, experience, but but mainly happiness and pride that they're growing as an individual and that there's strength in who they are turning into. You know, it's, it's important. Um, I saw that, and, and that was a big deal, and so that's kind of why I wanted to bring it up. Pretty proud of him. Holy shit, I'm talking for a while here. Um, okay, so another thing, next week. You know, here's something that I did last year, the horrific holiday special, year 46, Anno Satanus. I had, it was amazing. I had a lot of really, really great special guests popping in, and this year is no different. I had, next week, the week of hol- whatever holiday you do, whether it's Christmas or Saturnalia or what Hanukkah or fucking whatever it is, um, I'm going to be airing the year 47 on Satanas horrific holiday special, and I've got some of the amazing guests that I had last year. They're coming back doing little cameo spots, and uh, a couple new people, a couple new uh, situations, uh, pretty much the same makeup, it's going to be campy, it's going to be cheesy, it's supposed to be fun, and hopefully funny, in some cases, uh, and either way, it's supposed, you know, and, and I mentioned this last year, there are literally like four episodes a year that I sort of deviate from the sort of normal formula of nine cents being you know the three segments uh this is one of those four so i i want to you know sort of break the monotony of the show a little bit but also i mean really the whole point of the show is entertainment uh, at some level so i want to entertain you and i think this year i've got a great great show that's going to really entertain you so i hope that you tune in and i hope that you share it to those whom you think it will be of value and that doesn't mean other Satanists necessarily, but though, you know, of course, if you know other Satanists, share it out to them. And let's let's get this show to a broader audience. Horrific holiday special next week. Look for it. It's going to be amazing. And speaking of next week in Saturnalia, if you're a celebrating type, you can give me a gift. That's right. I'm giving you the gift of a holiday special. You can reciprocate. Give me a gift, motherfuckers. (laughs) You can give me an iTunes rating or review. You can go to any of my uh, websites for any of the projects I'm working on and click the little like button or the little Google Plus button or the little tweet button. Spread the word about what I'm doing. Um, Purely entertainment. A bit of education along the way. More than anything, it's supposed to be fun in a truly satanic way. So spread the word if you can. Do me that solid and help support the show in that way. I would truly appreciate it. And I'll, in turn, keep doing these shows, keep bringing you these amazing guests, uh, talking about these difficult topics and giving you the third perspective um, 
from me and from my guests that you don't find, literally, you will not find in other podcasts or radio shows. So, do yourself a favor and help spread the word about Nine Cents. It's just going to serve you and this show in the long run. And it's going to be amazing. So let's talk about the show, shall we? In The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to bring you an article, Why Are You a Satanist? by Magister Blanche Barton. In Frill Informant, Gunman shot himself as first responders closed in. That's right. The shooting, Connecticut, school, you've heard about it. I'm going to talk about it. Maybe surprise you a little bit. Egypt rights groups say constitution vote marred. That's right, we're going to be returning to Egypt. Shocker. I've, uh, you know, there's a couple nations that I've focused on since I've started this show. Um, Iraq, Iran, a li very little bit of Pakistan, pretty heavy in the Israel, um, fairly heavy in Egypt. And there's good reason, because these are the places that are affecting literally, um, politically the entire world and so I'm trying to give you a broad range of perspectives um, and, and certainly of events with my perspective uh, throughout the world not just here in the US stateside where I live so Egypt I've talked about it a number of times they had riots the democratic uprising whatever you want to call it looks like they're going back to their old ways and we'll be talking about that. And the creature feature, hey, it is a holiday show after all, right? We're in December, I gotta give you some sort of holiday uh, perspective. It's a wonderful life. I'm gonna be giving you my review of that. Again, may not be what you're expecting. So, come on, have a seat. Kick your feet up. Take that first button off your pants and kick it open because I'm gonna fill you up. <laughs> with my satanic perspective in the most creeper fucking way of saying it uh, let's jump into the devil's advocate shall we Say why bother? How you done? Great. Let's cut the bullshit and get real. Why this purity you feel about evil? For Christ's sake, why? Don't lie to me. I guess, Father. You gotta feel that old nick in your soul, and it becomes clear. Like it did for me, the first time. That's when I realized my one true calling in life. And what's that? Shit, man. <laughs> I'm a born devil's advocate. Welcome to the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm an active member in the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. Why are you a Satanist? This is an article by Magistra Blanche Barton. It's on the Church of Satan's website. And I suggest you get your tookus over there and you read it. Um, it's dated, but it still resonates. 
because the, I mean, dated as in, you know, earlier internet than we are now. Social media isn't as prevalent, but I think it, it actually foretells a little bit about where we've come, um, which, which is interesting. I always like, you know, there's a reason why we all identify as Satanists and we still, um, connect ourselves and, and, uh, um, really revel in that because these writings are timeless. These ideas are timeless. Satanism is, is reality. It's not something we try to be or we try to do or we try to make. Uh, it, it is life. And so, you know, we're sort of tied to it in that fashion. We, we recognize life as it is and we are kind of forced to be a part of it because we are alive and this is all we are. You know, we're human beings and our natures must guide us. And, and, you know, you run into these these essays and articles all across um, the Church of Satan's website and through uh, many published works of its members that, that resonate uh, just as powerfully, and this article is one of them. So I'm going to give you a little bit of an intro, I'm going to talk a little bit about it, and then I'm going to give you uh, sort of the last two uh, statements of the article. Um, I think they're poignant to today, especially, and maybe even more than when they were originally written. And and maybe that speaks to a, a larger context that we, <laughs> we never really change, we just um, uh, sort of degenerate. <laughs> it's, it's not really changing, it's just, uh, you know, it, it's like the worst is amplified. Why are you a Satanist? It's a good question to ask yourself from time to time. What are your overall goals in life? How is your philosophy helping you lay the groundwork to achieve all that you can during your brief span of years? What are you doing today, this very minute? Is it contributing to your life or robbing you of precious moments? In a good story, every line, every word contributes to the overall effect, moves towards the final denouement. What future are you writing for yourself today? And the context of this article is based around the counterproductive nature of online chat rooms specifically, but it can actually be attached to the way social networking has evolved, if you can say that. And certainly those of us who have seen it from our, its infancy, uh, strictly being chat rooms and forums to a MySpace social networking to a Facebook social networking uh, platform, and then uh, even from there, it, it sort of amplified the importance of being connected to it. Um, and, and what I'm taking away from this article is that Magistrate Barton is saying we are being absolutely counterproductive by um, wrapping ourselves and being caught up in these online communiques uh, arguing what Satanism is, or arguing your position, uh, fighting with other people, and all the while proving that we can be utterly petty uh, for absolutely no reason, because you're never going to convince someone that they're wrong. 
I mean, I mean, there, there's actually studies out there that say um, proving someone's point is invalid actually makes them dig in deeper to the fallacy of their argument. So fighting that fight in an online situation where everyone feels like they're God, and they can reach across the world with a couple keystrokes nowadays, and they can be as powerful as they want to be in a social online presence, no matter how unproductive they are in their actual lives. This is dangerous to Satanism. And in my opinion, it's why you see um, the Church of Satan's website and presence online not having changed in so long. I mean, really, what are we looking at here? I mean, we're looking at an evolution of communication. But is that evolution, is it always a good thing? I mean, we saw, and she speaks to this in the article, uh, with the television from radio. Um, you know, radio revolutionized human existence, spreading communication across the globe in ways that were never seen before. Television put a visual to that idea. But then we had commercials, then we had advertising, then we had uh, uh, news. And think of what the news is today. It's no longer reporting what's happening in an unbiased way. It's actually creating a framework of convincing society what it is, what it should be, what it can be, what it will be. They're defining their stories and they're packaging them and delivering them with specific goals before they even get to your eyes and ears. I mean, that's our media today. And then our social networking. Everyone's told that they're special and everyone has a voice. But you know what? Not everyone has something to say. But it doesn't matter in an online situation. Because everyone's, uh, everyone's connected to everyone else. And everyone spews forth their vomitous ideas as if they have some validity, some weight behind them. It clutters up. Uh, the potential of dissemination of accurate information online. It presents, and, and I would argue that this is the precise reason why some people are actually still ignorant as to what Satanism is, even after looking it up. Because they've, they've looked into it and they've found tons of people, uh, spreading vile misinformation, sometimes intentionally, but sometimes they're just ignorant themselves, repeating bullshit that they've heard, or just talking out of their ass, never having looked anything up before. And it actually affects us. This is not a good thing, people. Okay, so this article is addressing it, and it's talking about how, what I'm taking away from it anyway. It is incumbent upon us to look within ourselves and say, why do I identify as a Satanist? What is it about the philosophy? What is it about myself that connects me? And am what I doing in my life in the real world? And am what I doing online? benefiting that end? Or am I actually hurting the very thing that I identify myself with through my actions? 
Not everyone stops and thinks about this. So when you have an emotional moment like we did in this past week in America with the shootings in Connecticut, and you start spouting off ideas without really taking time to digest what has happened, to examine motivation, to examine uh, exterior uh, uh, um, uh, influences, without looking at the greater picture, without finding that third side perspective, you are damaging the very thing that you are identifying with. Because if in any way you are known as a Satanist and you're spouting off, shooting from the hip without thinking, then those who are not Satanists think that you speak for all Satanists. I mean, that's sort of just how the human psyche works. You see, uh, or you know a friend who claims to be something and you assume their perspectives flow across the entirety of that whatever it is. Um... Uh, religious organization, political organization, community, um, ethnicity. I mean, that's why we, <laughs> that's why we have these biases in, in, as a, as a, as a human, you know, as a people. Um, so, uh, this essay is, is addressing this issue and it's speaking to it in a, a very modern framework. And I think it's important, not just because of this last week, but also because I, I find myself doing this, where I get immersed in a moment, in an experience, and I don't really stop and think of what outsiders are going to see it or understand it as. And it only matters in as much as it reflects on all of Satanism. And that matters to me. I mean, if there is anything about this podcast, it's about being honest about what I am. And it's about saying that I am a Satanist. And these are my thoughts as a Satanist. And I want them not to be representative of Satanism. Not to be representative of the Church of Satan. But simply as my satanic perspective I wish we all sort of thought that way that, that we went out of our way to say no I do not speak for this group when I'm saying this this is my opinion and this is where I stand and before you say that you think about it you think about what you're going to say uh, certainly that's what this article is about and let, let me sort of close this conversation up here um, by reading these last two little uh, sections. Satanism cannot be confined or contained in an electronic box, nor can it be adequately debated or exemplified there. Turn off your computer and listen once again to the rhythm of your own soul, the one that guided you to Satanism in the first place. This is an organization for non-joiners born heretics and iconoclasts. We will never mesh in jolly brotherhood, nor should we want to. We don't want to dilute the potency of each individual. His or her strength, unique voice, and determination adds to ours. 
I don't feel threatened by differing opinions, nor do I call into question the entirety of Anton LaVey's life work just because I don't like everything about someone I'm sharing a foxhole with. But I do have to trust that ultimately his overall goals are resonant with mine. We are all ego-driven, but surely we can feed our egos more effectively by making things happen in the real devil's realm, by exercising our mastery of the earth, not cowering in some ephemeral, I'm sorry, ephemeral electronic grotto, playing cheap mind games and invading people's privacy. The internet is the new opiate of the masses, the PCLSD, and it leads to equally embarrassing delusions of omnipotence and godhood. It's easy to get caught up in the fray and think you're valiantly serving satanic ends Dr. LeVay would applaud. He wouldn't. He recognized the danger of lack of cohesion, online or otherwise, and didn't tolerate squabblers and shit disturbers. Neither will we. Signed, Magister of Blanche Barton. Listen up, listen up, KL Barrett, good news, and no devil, bad news, else no heaven, nothing to see, I'm your fellow informant. Hi, this is the Associated Press, gunman shot self as first responders closed in. Uh, Newtown, Connecticut. The gunman in the Connecticut shooting rampage committed suicide as first responders closed in, the governor said Sunday, raising the specter that Adam Lanza had planned an even more gruesome massacre and was stopped short. Lanza blasted his way into the building and used a high-power rifle to kill 20 children and 6 adults, including the principal who tried to stop him, authorities said. As President Barack Obama prepared a visit and churches opened their doors to comfort a grieving town Sunday, federal agents fanned out to dozens of gun stores and shooting ranges across Connecticut, chasing leads they hoped would cast light on Lance's life. Among the questions, why did his mother, a well-to-do suburban divorcee, keep a cache of high-powered weapons in the house? What experience did Lanza have with those guns? And above all, what set him on a path to go classroom by classroom, massacring six- and seven-year-olds? Speaking on ABC's This Week, uh, Governor Daniel Malloy said Lanza shot himself as police entered the building. We surmise that it was during the second classroom episode that he heard responders coming, and apparently at that decided to take his own life, Malloy said. Malloy offered no possible motive for the shooting, and a law enforcement official had said police had found no letters or diaries left behind that could shed light on it. All the victims at the school were shot with a rifle, at least some of them up close, and all were apparently shot more than once. Chief Medical Examiner D. Eight, I'm sorry, Doctor H. Wayne Carver said there were as many as eleven shots in the bodies he examined. All six adults killed at the school were women. Of the 20 children, eight were boys and 12 were girls. Asked whether the children suffered, Carver said, if so, not for very long. Asked how many bullets were fired, Carver said, I'm lucky if I can tell you how many I found. Parents identified the children through photos to spare them some shock, Carver said. 
the terrible details about the last moments of the young innocents emerged as authorities released their names and ages, the youngest, six and seven, the oldest, 56. They included Anna Marquez Green, a little girl who had just moved to Newtown from Canada, Victoria Soto, 27-year-old teacher who apparently died when trying to hide her pupils, and Principal Don Hotsprung, who authorities said lunged at the gunman in an attempt to overtake him. The tragedy had plunged Newtown into mourning and added the picturesque New England community of 27,000 people to the grim map of towns where mass shootings in recent years have periodically reignited the national debate over gun control, but led to little change. Residents and faith leaders were sure to reflect Sunday on the mass shootings and what meaning, if any, to find in it. Obama planned to attend an interfaith vigil, the fourth time he will have traveled to a city after a mass shooting. On Saturday, overflow crowds packed St. Rose of Lima Roman Catholic Church. The Reverend Richard Sinto, a deacon, gave a homily. In the past 48 hours, I've said the phrase, I don't know, about 1,000 times, he said. That's not knowing has got to be the worst part of this whole thing. At St. John's Episcopal Church, 58-year-old Donna Denner, an art teacher at an elementary school in nearby Danbury, whose classroom was locked down after the shooting, said she feels the same way she did after 911. 9-11, but isn't sure the rest of the country does. I don't know if the rest of the country is struggling to understand in the same way we are here, she said. Life goes on, but you're not the same. Is the rest of the country, are, are they going about their regular activities, or is it just another news story to them? In the Vatican, Pope Benedict told pilgrims and tourists Sunday that he's praying for the families of the victims. I assure the families of the victims, especially those who lost a child, of my closeness in prayer, the Pope said. May the God of consolation touch their hearts and ease their pain. How fucking useless of a phrase. The gunman's father, Peter Lanza, issued a statement Saturday relating his own family's anguish in the aftermath. Our family is grieving along with all of those who have been affected by this enormous tragedy. No words can truly express how heartbroken we are, he said. We are in a state of disbelief and trying to find whatever answers we can. We too are asking why, like so many of you. We are saddened, but struggling to make sense of what happened. The rifle used was a Bushmaster .223 caliber according to an official with knowledge of an investigation, who was not authorized to speak about it and talked in condition of an anonymity. The gun was commonly seen at competitions and was a type used in the O2 sniper killings in Washington, D.C. area. Also found in the school were two handguns, a Glock 10mm and a Sig Sauer 9mm. A law enforcement official said Saturday the authorities were investigating fresh leads that could reveal more about the lead-up to the shooting. The official spoke on condition of anonymity because he was not authorized to discuss the matter publicly. Ginger Colburn, spokesman of the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, said earlier there was no evidence Lanza was involved in gun clubs or had training for the shooting. When reached later in the day and asked whether this was still true, she said, we're following any and all leads related to the individual and firearms. 
Dean Prince, director of Wooster Mountain State Range, a shooter range in Danbury, said the two ATF agents visited the range Friday night and stayed in early morning looking through thousands of names on sign-in logs. He said that he had never seen Adam or Nancy Lanza there or that agents told him they did not find their names in the sign-in sheets. Law enforcement officials had said they found no note or manifesto from lands in the sort that would come to expect after murderous rampages such as Virginia Tech bloodbath in 07 that left 33 people dead. Education officials said they had found no link between Lanz's mother and the school, contrary to news reports that said she was a teacher there. Investigators said they believe Adam Lanza attended Sandy Hook many years ago, but they have no explanation for why he went there on Friday. Authorities said Adam Lanza had no criminal history and was not clear whether he had a job. Lanza was believed to have suffered from personality disorder, said a law enforcement official who spoke on condition of anonymity. Another law enforcement official, also speaking in condition of anonymity, said Lanza had been diagnosed with Asperger's, a mild form of autism often characterized by social awkwardness. People with the disorder are often highly intelligent. While they can become frustrated more easily, there are no evidence of link between Asperger's and violent behavior, experts say. Law enforcement officials excuse me, insisted on anonymity because they're not authorized to discuss the unfolding investigation. Richard Novia, school district's head of security until 08, who had served as advisor for the school technology club, of which Lanza was a member, said he clearly had some disabilities. If that boy would have burned himself... He would not have known it or felt it physically, Novia said in a phone interview. It was my job to pay close attention to that. Amid the confusion and sorrow, stories of heroism emerged, including an account of Hawksprung, 47, and the school psychologist Mary Sherlock, 56, rushing toward Lanza in an attempt to stop him. Both died. There was also 27-year-old teacher Victoria Soto, whose name had been invoked as a portrait of selflessness. Investigators told relatives she was killed while shielding her first graders from danger. She reportedly hid some students in a bathroom or closet, ensuring they were safe. A cousin, Jim Witsey, told ABC News. She put those children first. That's all she ever talked about, a friend, Andrea Crowell, told the Associated Press. She wanted to do her best for them to teach them something new every day. There was also a six-year-old Emily Parker, whose grieving father, Robbie, talked to reporters not long after police released the names of the victims but expressed no animosity offering sympathy for Lanza's family. I can't imagine how hard this experience must be for you, he said. And that's the article. So, while this news story was breaking, the left immediately jumped on the ban all guns bandwagon and the right as they are prone to do immediately jumped on the we cannot talk about this not now ironically there's never a time to talk about gun legislation in the right's opinion and sadly the left wants nothing less of removing all guns it seems from everyone's hands um, those of us who live in the middle, well, we have a challenge because we have to be able to examine all situations in order to come up with a realistic worldview. Um, I mean, let's be honest. In any society, freedoms are limited. That's sort of the drawback of being in a society. You don't get to do whatever the fuck you want. 
and privileges, though in some eras are ideal, in others may not be so. But more than the argument or the conversation about gun control that we will have as a society, and I think that is healthy to have, whether or not anything is done about our current situation, we must address the mental health issue. Now, it was stated very clearly that this individual has issues. Quite frankly, you don't need anyone to tell you that. If they are a young adult and they go shooting children, you pretty damn well know they have mental issues. But they weren't retarded. I mean, they were smart enough to know right from wrong. After all, he shot himself when he realized he was about to be shot. He wanted to end it on his own terms. And he was in body armor. So he thought this through. This wasn't just, I picked up my mom's rifle and went to town. So we have to look at this as a productive society and always assign responsibility to the responsible. And it's not going to be popular. But if you have a mental disorder, responsibility initially falls upon you. But also, if you're living with your parents, we have to look at the parents. Now, yes, this was a young man in his early 20s who did this. But his parents, well, it was their weapons that he used. Who knows the politics? It may not even matter, ultimately. Who knows the family situation? It may not matter, ultimately. But there are those out there who are saying, well, because human beings murder, because human beings are violent, because we kill people and it happens and there seems to be no sense to it, and oftentimes there is no sense to be found, that it, it just horrible shit happens, that somehow we can't examine it or we shouldn't examine it, and so hands in the air we can't do anything about it. Well, that's bullshit. I'm a responsible member of the society I live in, and I say that we hold people accountable. If this person had a mental disorder, then his parents knew about it, and they didn't force him to take treatment when he was a young man, or they allowed him to live in their house and didn't force him to follow through with treatment, then they are at fault, just like he is. That's right. Look at the parenting. If this person, in his elementary school and in his middle high, middle school and in his high school, was known to have disability, and he was allowed access to weapons, blame the parents. It was their weapons, after all. And no amount of legislation on weapons is going to change that fact. So let's not look at the weapon legislation. Let's look at the mental health situation and let's force people to realize that untreated disorders have consequences that's what we should be looking at okay so let's talk about the gun issue i've talked about this in the past let me be frank and clear i was in the military i understand a need for weapons i understand as a civilian and as a militia. 
We have to be able to protect ourselves. My personal line is drawn. We should be able to own pistols and rifles, shotguns, but not fully automatic weapons. But we can as a society, and I accept that, and that's not a big deal. Fine, whatever. We have to be able, and this is not applicable in this circumstance, but in the long run, we have to be able to have a more thorough background check, a longer waiting time, to identify the right people. And by right people, I mean mentally stable non-criminals to have access to guns. If you look at all of these major, major mass murder situations with weapons, they're all legally purchased. And yes, people degenerate over time, so there's going to be some that fall through the cracks. But I also think there's going to be some that we can prevent from ever getting their hands on them. Properly storing your firearms, separating your ammunition and locking it away from the weapon is a really good first step. Education. If you're going to own a weapon, you have to have a license to drive a car. Force people to take courses in order to get licensed to carry weapons. I mean, we do that for, for concealed carrying, but we should do that for all weapon ownership. Shit, I think we should do that for parenting. You can't have a kid unless you prove that you are capable of taking care of that kid. And that falls right goose-stepping in line with uh, the mental health issue. We have to be able to take care of our children. If they have mental issues, well, that sucks for you as a parent, but that means that you have to put in twice or three times the amount of time and effort into that child than anyone else on the street. That's your lot. That's your seed. You created it. You deal with it. And as soon as they turn 18, don't just throw your hands in the air and say, well, they're an adult. They can take care of themselves. No. Because you end up with situations like this in some cases, where people are dead because you didn't want to deal with your kid. Mentally disabled people are never responsible adults. They always have to have an eye, either from a psychiatrist, either from their parent, or a caretaker of some sort. They, we have to we have to address this issue. We're so afraid to call people what they really are. We live in this sort of uh, protected world where everyone's feelings are special and everyone's everyone's special in their own way and and no one's handicapped or mental. Well, that's not really the case. There are seriously mentally deficient human beings that do not have the right to have the same rights and responsibilities as healthy, responsible parts of society. This guy is one of them, and this, ex th th this horrible situation is proof of it. So let's focus on that. And if we want to talk about uh, better background checks in order to get uh, access to weapons, I'm okay with that too, but that's not the central issue here. Certainly not from the information that's been spread out now. And of course, just me even saying that we should have more thorough background checks infuriates some gun-owning enthusiasts. 
How dare you prevent me from getting my weapons? I'll submit to you this. In my experience, there are two types of civilians that buy guns. One, people who are terrified. People who are afraid. They're afraid someone's going to break into their house. They're afraid that someone's going to try to take something they own. They're afraid someone's going to try to oppress them. And then there are people who just enjoy guns. They're collectors, or they like firing guns. I fall into this category. I actually don't own any guns. I love going and shooting them with my friends and family. I had a lot of fun using them in the military. But I don't have a need for them. And quite frankly, I can't afford to be a collector for them. I have two kids and a house and a wife and a life. And that's not really my hobby, this is. So you have hobbyists and you have people who are afraid. Of those two, the only people I'm concerned with are the afraid people. If you're so terrified about life that you feel like you have to have a gun, either on you or in your closet, you better be, you better be educated about the use of that weapon. The hobbyists will be educated about it. They'll have their permits. They'll have all their ducks in a row. They'll keep a gun closet locked. They'll be responsible. I'm not worried about them. It's you that are terrified. Someone's going to break into my house. I have to be able to protect myself. I got to have a gun on my hip. Yeah, and, and those people, even though they have concealed carrying permits, still terrified. You can, if you live your life in fear, I can't trust you. I never will be able to, and society shouldn't either. Those are the people we have to be worried about. And if you're just going to leave your weapons laying around, allowing a mentally deficient child of yours access to your weapons, well, you're to blame, and you should be held responsible. If you're not killed by this insane person, when they take your weapons, you should be prosecuted for not addressing their mental stability issues and not protecting your weapons. Not everyone should have the right to bear arms, even though that's in our constitution. We have a lot of retards in this country, and I'm not just talking about mentally deficient people. There are a lot of worthless human beings in our society that have access to weapons, that do not think clearly that are not responsible adults. And yet we allow them access. I have a problem with that. Because I'm a responsible human being. Not everyone's going to agree with it. Not everyone's responsible. I understand and I can, I can accept that because I accept reality as it is. I don't like it, but I accept it. So let's continue ignoring uh, access to guns. Let's continue ignoring mental health issues and let's continue arming as many people as we can because somehow that's going to solve all our problems and let's call anyone who wants to look at sensible legislation or examining the greater cause of tragedy as a leftist nut job instead of dealing with it as adults should when tragedy strikes the society they live in Unfortunately, that's where we are. 
and we're all going to be demonized for saying that we should examine all possibilities. That doesn't mean enact them all. Just examine them. All right, and the last article here. Damn, I'm running late again. Um, that was a pretty big soapbox. <laughs> Newstimes.com. Egypt rights groups say constitution vote marred. Uh, by Hamza Hendawi. And this is the Associated Press. Cairo. Key Egyptian rights groups called Sunday for a repeat of the first round of constitutional referendum, alleging the vote was marred by widespread violation. Islamists who backed the dis um, disputed charter claimed that they were in the lead with a majority of yes votes. Representatives of the seven groups charged that there were insufficient supervision by judges in Saturday's vote in 10 of Egypt's 27 provinces. Independent monitors were prevented from witnessing vote counts. The representatives told a news conference that they had reports of individuals falsely identifying themselves as judges of women prevented from voting. And that mean, and the members of Islamist President Mohamed Morsi's Muslim Brotherhood were allowed inside polling stations. They also complained that some polling centers closed earlier than scheduled and that Christians were denied entry to polling stations. We call an election commission to avoid these violations in a second round and repeat the first round, said a statement by the seven groups. The vote counting took place in darkness, said Nagad Borai, head of one of the groups. He alleged the Election Commission did not investigate thousands of complaints on alleged violations and irregularities. The second and final round of voting on the charter is planned for Saturday, December 22nd. The vote capped a near two-year struggle over Egypt's identity since the ouster of longtime leader Hosni Mubarak. The latest crisis over the charter evolved into a fight, deadly at times, over whether Egypt should move toward a religious state under Morsi's Brotherhood, and their ultra-conservative Salafi allies, or one that retains secular traditions and an Islamic character. Underlying the tension, some 120,000 army troops were deployed to help the police protect polling stations and state institutions after classes between Morsi's supporters and opponents over the past three weeks left at least 10 people dead and about 1,000 wounded. Some voters on Saturday said they presumed supervising judge at their polling centers refused to show them official documents to certify that they were indeed a judge. Others said some polling centers closed hours ahead of the 11 p.m. cutoff. Others complained of suspected members of the Brotherhood whispering to voters inside polling stations saying to vote yes, and some voters alleged some of the supervising judges were influencing voters to choose yes. A group of women in Alexandria claimed the judges in their polling center were stalled to stopping them from vote. The violations reported by monitors, including polling centers collecting votes without judges to oversee the process, civil employees illegally replacing the judges, ballot papers not officially stamped as per regulations, campaigning inside polling stations, and Christian voters being turned away. <laughs> Welcome to democracy, brothers. <laughs> This voter suppression is key, key to any American-styled um, democratic voting process. So, hey, you wanted it, you got it. Stop your bitching. It's not going to matter. You can be in, in an American, down-home, wonderful, uh, middle America city, and you're still going to be having uh, 
issues by either minority party saying that the other one is somehow doing something illegal, preventing the real voters or the real count from getting out. Allegations of widespread violations came only hours after the Brotherhood claimed a majority of Egyptians were voting on the proposed Islamist-backed constitution, having approved the document with a majority of about 57%. Turnout was unofficially estimated around 32%, which is confirmed um, would be far lower than the presidential or uh, parliamentary elections following Mubarak's fall. Official results are not expected until after the second round. The Brotherhood, which has in the past accurately predicted election results, relied on vote tallies collected by its activists at the individual polling stations across the country. If the Constitution is approved by a simple majority of voters, the Islamists empowered after the overthrow of Mubarak would gain more clout. The upper house of parliament, dominated by Islamists, would be given the authority to legislate until a new lower house is elected. If the draft proposal is rejected, elections would be held within three months for a new panel to write a new constitution. In the meantime, legislative powers would remain with Morsi, who won the presidency in June. The official website of Egypt's state television reported that 68 and 72 percent of voters cast no ballots in Cairo and Alexandria, respectively, Egypt's two largest cities. Uh, the only other two provinces where the no vote won the majority were, um, I'm going to butcher this, sorry guys, uh, Garbia and Daqualia in the Nile Delta north of Cairo. The Brotherhood and other Islamists enjoy wide support in most of the 17 provinces voting in December 22, something that could work in favor of the yes vote, but the Islamists led by the Brotherhood are widely thought to have lost some of their popularity because of the perceptions that Morsi and the Islamist-backed government of Prime Minister Hesham Kandil have failed to resolve any of the country's major problems since high unemployment and rising prices and security. Egypt's, um, Egyptians are bracing for a wide range of steep price hikes as part of the government's program to boost revenues and restructure the economic or economy to secure a $4.8 billion loan from the International Monetary Fund. Last week, Egypt delayed the request for the loan after Morsi rescinded tax hikes a day after he imposed them, fearing that would only add to political turmoil. There were no serious incidents of violence during the Saturday's vote, and although there was no evidence of mass fraud, Monitors from the opposition and rights groups said the boycott of the referendum by most judges was reflected to the chaos prevailing in some polling centers. All right, so I brought this up because I had uh, early on in this when uh, the presidency uh, was announced, um, announced, handed over from the military to the president, um, that, uh, uh, and that was Morsi, um, that we would have to see if they ever actually gave rights to the people because obviously power corrupts and when you you come from a a dictatorship history it's hard to uh, change that the fact that there's any election process at all is encouraging in that but it does speak to even us america who acts like we have such authority over the democratic process, as if we're the only ones in the world who have ever had this experiment of democracy. Like, we, we know what it takes. We still have problems. 
in every single election we have, there are problems. So Egypt, my brother from another continent, understand this. You will never be 100% satisfied with who is leading your country or in the elections that put them in that place in the first place. You will always deal with this, and that is the benefit of a democratic society, is that sometimes you're up and sometimes you're down, but you're never happy. <laughs> it's sad. It's kind of depressing, but it's true. You're never quite satisfied with what you have. It's always the lesser of two evils. And that may be just because we're human beings. That may be because of the situation that we, we set up. But it's always the case. So you're either horribly oppressed by dictatorship, or you're sometimes okay with a democratic system. That's kind of the only two that are really running well now. <laughs> so uh, lesser of two evils of processes, I think you might have it. You may not like the brotherhood. You may not like the Islamist secularism, uh, which is kind of an ironic <laughs> two-word phrase there. But um, either way, welcome to democracy. And uh, yeah, I still think that at some point you're going to go back to a dictatorship. That's just me speculating uh, off of history. But enjoy it while you have it. Elections, even if they're fake, at least they make you feel better. And uh, don't worry, this will only negatively affect your economy. <laughs> yeah, like badly. But hey, you're not alone. Everyone's economy sucks nowadays. Everyone's. All right, that's going to do it for the Infernal Format. I know that was really, really long. And uh, you know what? You're going to get a little bit more of me in the creature features. So I'll see you there. Oh, God. No, just me. Did you know that after the heart stops beating, the brain can function for well over seven minutes? We got six more minutes to play. Why are you screaming when I haven't even cut you yet? Welcome to Creature Feature. Alright, so last year I brought you um, commentary about uh, A Christmas Carol. Uh, this year, I'm going to do it. A, it's a Wonderful Life. Because I, I have some problems with this. I mean, this is a show that we watch as a family every year. Um, along with like a Miracle on 34th Street and stuff like that. I grew up watching it. And I was always struck by by some of the messages in it as odd. So let me start by giving you a brief overview of the plot, and then I'll sort of walk you through the story here in my perspective. So It's a Wonderful Life. It was a 1946 film by Frank Capra, starring uh, James Stewart as George Bailey. And the movie really revolves around him. So um, George Bailey's character lives in this town with this small um, building and loan association that is purported to be vital to the local community. Um, and George is, he falls into this um, selfless task of 
taking up his father's position as head of the board and running this association for the benefit, for the greater benefit of the community he's living in, uh, giving up on all of his personal dreams, uh, ends up marrying uh, the girl he wants to marry, but never being successful financially and never uh, really being able to feel like he's had a sense of accomplishment. Uh, that association is trying to be dismantled by a Henry F. Potter, who is this sort of majority shareholder in the building and loan, who is this uh, grimy uh, sort of slumlord character in the movies, the money-grubbing, uh, really financier of, of, of everything. He owns everything, as it were. He's sort of the Scrooge of the story, if you will. Uh, so the story revolves around the idea of um, George losing faith in his ability to continue and realizing that he's worth more dead to himself than alive, dead to the people around him than alive, and goes to a bridge to jump off to die, and then an angel stops him and then shows him what life would be if he were never born, and thereby, you know, changing his mind and realizing what he actually has and what's happy for him and stuff. Um, George, as a young man, and so I'm going to sort of get into my examination of this here. As a young man, George wanted nothing more than to go off into the world and get out of Bedford Falls, um, where, where he lives. He wanted to leave his town and really just explore. He wanted to be an adventurer. He gave up on that to pick up the pieces of this association, this building and loan association that his dad ran. So, here's the first mistake he made. He gave up on his dreams. And what's worse is this movie is celebrating that fact. I mean, and, and really, the only time that it works out in, in someone's existence that they give up on their dreams and suddenly they find uh, happiness and fulfillment is in the movies. It never happens in their real life. And, and so I'm always struck by this, like, why is this celebrated as such an amazing... I mean, yes, he ended up having a, a nice family, but that's not necessarily because he gave up on his dreams. I mean, he could have had that no matter what but had been successful during it. It celebrates this idea of selflessness that, 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 you know, looking out for your neighbor somehow benefits you in the long run. When, on the other hand, in the exact same film, it's showing how horrible it is for him to do that and how much it costs him and how he keeps being the sap and keeps doing it. And it just really reminds me that we make decisions in our life about who we are going to love as Satanists, about who we are going to help, what organizations or individuals. We don't do it because it's the greater good, because that idea of greater good is a manufactured notion. It's not real. George Bailey is being a complete sucker and sacrificing himself for literally no reason. It's this idea that if he didn't do it, no one else could do it. So he had to give up his life. 
That is a defeatist's victim stance. That no self-respecting Satanist could ever take. And so I, I just find the sense of... I, I despise him for giving up on his own dreams like that. He's literally allowing other people to define what his life is going to be throughout the entire movie, and the entire movie is based around the idea of celebrating it, as if it's a virtue to let other people define you. It's disgusting. And then the Scrooge character of the film, Mr. Henry F. Potter, who in the movie they do a really good job of making you dislike him, but as far as the success and authority over one's life, he's the hero of the movie. And it's sad because in life, and I've always spoken to this, success does not necessarily equate how much money you make. Success is something that you as an individual define. No one else. You. So if your success is working your ass off, never having a vacation, but being able to allow your family to live if that's your success, and that's what you do in life, then you are very successful. And who cares how much you make? But if your measure of success is having a, a six-figure or seven-figure income every year, then and you do it, well, then you're a very successful person as well. But it's defined, the important part here, is to know that it's defined by you. And in this movie, the only person following that is Potter the villain he's the only one defining his own level of success meeting it and he's demonized for it it's absurd and he does do some very vile things in this film um but a lot of it it's from a perspective that it's vile i mean a lot of it is just a, a very straightforward business standpoint that we all exist in right now I mean, we look at it in the film's context as bad, but in our own lives, as we are right now, we completely understand it. If, if, if you don't have equity, then you have nothing to um, offer someone for a loan. And it, it's very simple. If, if you don't have anything to back the loan, why would they give you the loan? Any collateral. Um, so, from a, a realistic life standpoint I completely identify with Mr. Potter he makes common sense decisions based on factual return and and, and that's purely business savviness and, and it makes perfect sense to anyone logically um, but he's the bad guy in this everyone hates him because he's successful at what he does it's ridiculous um, this whole idea, this concept that somehow, and this is really the theme of the whole movie that I despise, we as a human species would not understand lessons, morals, life, reality without some sort of supernatural third party showing us the way. That's what this film is saying. It's saying without angels looking after us, we would never fully understand what our lives are worth. So again, context of the film, you're taking responsibility and vision 
out of your hands as a human being and putting it in the hands of an imaginary creature called an angel. And we herald it. We champion this film as um, some of the best American films ever made. I mean, it's in the 100 best American films ever made list. Number 11 in the greatest movies list. It, I mean, it's it's absurd that... As a, and, and this speaks to a larger context of what American life is like. We, as a species, not as Satanists, want to put our lives in other people's hands so we don't have to take responsibility. And in that, we find comfort so we can run up our credit cards and be in debt as much as possible because we know it's not our fault. We're not the ones that owe the debt. It's society. It's, it's our culture that allows us to do it. Or, or this idea that sin as much as you want, go against what you, you espouse that you believe, because you'll be forgiven and all will be okay. There's this big brother, invisible man in the sky who will take care of you. So do whatever you want. Um, it's forcing people not to take responsibility for their own actions and for their own lives. And we are suffering as a society because of it. Because this vile message continues to be spread that it's okay to allow others dominion over your life. It's okay to be irresponsible with your finances, with your family, with your profession, that whatever it is you, know, you choose to do uh, for a living. And I'm here to say that it is not okay. If you take any lesson, any, any message from this movie, It's a Wonderful Life, look at the character Mr. Henry F. Potter. And look at the success he's made. Look at the authority he demands over the investments he's involved in. Doesn't mean you have to be a shit heel like his character is in this movie. But it means that if you are in charge of your own life, if you are not indebted to others, you will find a sense of purpose. And you will have success on your terms. And as a Satanist, I completely get behind that. So, if if you have to see It's a Wonderful Life, I actually do think it's a good movie. Not for the movie's sake, but for the entertainment's sake. Meaning, I don't subscribe to the message that it puts out there, but I do enjoy it for what it is. And I take away from it uh, what I just shared with you responsibility to the responsible. Do not look for outside forces to define you. Because you are the one who defines yourself. Um, and there's strength in that. There's authority in that. And I take comfort in knowing that I'm in charge of my own life. That the decisions I make are for my own benefit. Therefore, I am in control. I mean, that's a good thing. Alright, and that's going to do it for the creature feature. So, that's also going to do it for another nine cents. Thank you so much for joining me. I really, really do appreciate it. Um, I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. The holidays are here, people! And 9cents has provided... 
From Asp Apparel's official nine cents clothing accessories found at AspApparel.com to my children's book, How Crow Got a Scareback, found at crow.adampcampbell.com, and my new project, Nine Cents Presents Satanists on Satanic Cinema, found at satanistsonsatanicinema.com. Spread the word and help support the show. You can visit the Satanet Facebook, Google Plus, Twitter, or MySpace page for Nine Cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at NineCentsPodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, so look for us there as well. You can subscribe to Nine Cents via iTunes by searching Nine Cents, and don't forget to leave a rating or a comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. If you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit RadioFreeSatan.com, the source for online satanic media. And once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I am your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan! Hail Satan!